A cube can slide and stack up high. A cube isn't curved, so it cannot roll. It's a cube, cube, cube. Six surfaces. Each one is flat. Each one is flat. Hello and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza and I am your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. And our movie today is a fun little Canadian sci-fi horror movie called Cube from 1997. Not all that well known, although in certain circles, the horror circles, sci-fi circle, people probably know it. But this is not a big movie that a lot of people talk about or that you probably would have ever seen in a theater. And so it's a perfect choice for a podcast like Staff Picks. And my guest today, uh, let's see, he was on the show before, I think about a year and a half ago, he did my Galaxy Quest episode, and that was a really good episode. And I always wanted to bring him back. And he's perfect for this one because he is Canadian and he's taken Canadian film classes before. So I believe he says that makes him one of the foremost experts in Canadian cinema. So welcome back to the show, Mark Kalzer. Uh, hi, yes. I say like top 001% of, of all people I probably know more than most. You know, I've seen my uncle Antoine, which I think already, already makes me makes me qualified. Yeah, well, okay, so I don't know much about the backstory of this movie. So give us a little backstory of you, and then maybe kind of how you learned about Cube in the first place, because I'm fascinated by this. Well, I missed it in theaters, but uh, it was talked about uh, in circles around the can- around Canada. Um, I was in high school at the time, so, you know, the availability of uh, R-rated movies was, was limited, even though our rating scale was always a little more... Um, liberal than than otherwise uh this is a movie i saw on video um and it, it did really well in its in its small box office release you know it's a paper thin budget less than a million dollars and so even just making eight million dollars off of that makes you an already a uh, box office success so uh i feel like it's one of those movies that just really caught fire on home video more than anything and uh and uh yeah that that's kind of just my experience with it, it is just seeing it on video and hearing kids talk about it and just seeing oh i wish i saw that because uh um just the whole I premise a a cube a perfect shape that alone makes it super appealing to me just by itself are you a shape fan is that why uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of, of simple shapes. Uh, one of my big latent fears of movies as I got older was that with computer animation, we'd replace basic basic shapes with noise and lots and lots of pictures on the on the screen you can't really uh, sort through. So, uh, you know, Cube gives me that comfort of knowing this is going to be about simple shapes and simple structures and simple patterns. Uh, none of this awful noise that fills like every George Lucas frame of Star Wars 3, right? <laughs> so you would call this a feel-good movie. This movie makes you feel like uh, like an old, comfortable shoe, like you're at home. When the room's blue, yes. So if it's, if it's red, then I have real problems. Like like, like apparently red was a real problem on set. Um, it, it, they were still surprised to the filmmakers, of course. But anytime they could rid it the set to red, the stress levels of the cast and crew were elevated. And and if you're an actor, that that's that's perfect because you want to be more more on edge during those scenes. They literally made those the most intense scenes. But uh, it was quite remarkable to see that the theory proved real, that these colors do affect the emotional states of your actors. Unfortunately, I think we're jumping a little far ahead here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Okay, so 
Cube is a movie that I heard about just uh, word of mouth from other horror movie fans. And the way it was described to me as a bunch of people are locked in a cube with no escape and they basically have to figure out how to get out. It's a very minimalist movie and uh, it's very low budget. You can tell when you watch it, but it's really kind of a. Uh, I would say it sets a really neat atmosphere and it kind of captures a tone that you do not see in many other movies. And that's one of the reasons I always kind of admire it. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's one of those uh, what you would call high concepts. So it's like a basic, simple premise and you just kind of roll with it. You can sit in, the, in an elevator or a cube, if you will, and just say, so there's people and they're trapped in a cube, right? And they have to escape. And uh, and that's your, that's your pitch right there, right? It's, it's basically a precursor to the escape room. Oh, yeah. Yeah, perfect. That's an excellent description. This is Escape Room the movie. That's basically it. And this movie came out in, what, 1997? So it was definitely before Escape Rooms. Uh, for sure. Escape Rooms are – what do you seem to like, be like millennials can animate Escape Rooms a thing here? Because um, uh, the thing about this cube is that it, it's, it's not completely unfair. 1998 I'm seeing here. Um, it's not completely unfair. There are solutions, plural. I say plural because there's multiple ways to solve this thing. So, uh, you know, it allows you to figure out the rules. And I, I almost start to think that there's even solutions that we, the audience, don't get to know of because those solutions just aren't used, right? Like, mm -hmm. like what if the first guy who died, well, I think, uh, um, what is his name, Anderson, maybe he had some other solution that if he had been allowed to live would have been completely different from everybody else's. Maybe there was a pattern in the colors, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's not a completely unfair trap. So to say. <laughs> okay, you've dropped a couple words in there. Death, traps, uh, all that does. Now, again, for people who have not seen this movie, the obvious comparison is Saw. If you've seen Saw, if you know anything about Saw, this movie is like that, although it's less sadistic. It's way less bloody and tortury, but we're along the same lines. These booby-trapped cube rooms where if you make the wrong mistake, you could die in a horrible way. And we do see a couple of horrible deaths, including one in the first five minutes of the movie, which is one of the more distinct deaths I can think of in a horror movie. Uh, for sure. That, that's, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's kind of weird. That's kind of like a... It's kind of like a James Bond pre-title sequence, right? It literally is before the title card, which is uh, we're going to tease you the kind of death you're going to see in this movie. And, and kind of oddly that um, the second half of the movie doesn't really not spoil things for those who haven't seen the movie. I don't know who that is, but um, um, who's listening to this and hasn't seen the movie. It, it kind of leads you to believe this is going to be a movie about traps, the same way that Saw is about traps. Uh, really, there's no traps in Cube. For like the second half, after like the sound activated trap, it's basically just character drama. So I find it weird that it kind of teases you with this. Uh, I guess the most taking the most shallow stance of the movie to say, "Hey, you want to see people die in gruesome ways?" That's what this movie's maybe going to be about. Yeah, it's. And that leads into a big question. And Mark and I debated this, and I've had other people debate this with me as well. Is this actually a horror movie? Now, I want to get your thoughts on that in a second. This is a movie that I've wanted to do on Staff Picks forever. I know Mark was saying, who would who would listen to a podcast if you haven't seen it? I'm guessing a lot of people have not seen this movie. They just like listening to me and my co-host describe these plots, and then they will decide to go watch it. But, yeah, this it's hard to describe this as a horror movie or like a sci-fi movie. 
once we get into it, it's like a math movie. It's really kind of hard to describe. It's, it's in no way as hardcore as Saw. That's one thing I want to say right off the bat. This is a pretty mild horror movie. Yeah, Saw, I feel, is a little more... At, like, half the people I know in Toronto who are actors have been in the Saw movies. Um, half, half my improv teachers, anyways. Um, it's another Toronto uh, staple, the Saw movies. and uh, um, But the Saw movies, they're very much about that repetition, that pattern of uh, the... Uh, the, the, just, just the structure of the traps and oh, if you uh, we've captured this horrible person who's done terrible things, you can redeem yourself either by saving someone or do, sacrificing a part of your body to rescue someone. They're very elaborately contrived traps, and uh, um, almost like the 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 the, um, the appeal of it is to see that mechanism of the trap. And uh, to me, Cube. It's not really about the traps, as in as in to say that there's no traps in the second half, anyways. Um, you know, I think it teases you with traps, but really, it's a story about um, about people, about people's um, people's relationship with the world they exist in, and trying to find uh, trying to have a, find a reason to exist in that kind of a world, in a world that has so little meaning. Yeah, it's definitely very philosophical for a quote-unquote horror movie. I would say that the thing you need to look for in Cube is the things you're not seeing. You know, it's it's a uh, you know a term we hear a lot today in in movie discussions now is mystery box. Uh, thanks to G.G. Abrams and and Lost was a big part of that the TV show Lost, which shares the opening shot with this. Actually, the the eyeball opening. Hmm. Um, and uh, you know, this is probably about as plain a mystery box, uh, literally a cube box, as you could find. And uh, um. You know, what this movie is not about is explaining what this is. And, uh, you know, later sequels will try to explain that without actually explaining it. They're kind of playing this weird dance that I think kind of ruins the whole thing. Um, you know, the, 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 the point of Cube is its ambiguity. You know, what is the Cube? I don't know. It doesn't matter what the Cube is. What matters is what people think the Cube is, right? And when what they think the Cube is says what they think about uh, reality at large, Right. Yeah, that's a, that's an excellent description. That <laughs> okay, I want to save the discussion for the sequels afterwards because I have not seen the sequels and I have heard they're terrible. So I just know Cube is a standalone movie. So definitely, if I forget, remind me at the end, okay? For sure. Like I, I've deliberately not watched them for this. I've deliberately not watched them ever since I watched them a second time. And I remember being in that state of mind back then as a kid or as a teenager, where I'm just like, I'm dying for any information about what this cube is, even though it's fiction. It doesn't matter what the cube is. But I was obsessed with finding some sort of information. And then you see the sequel or the prequel, as it were, and uh, you're like, well, that didn't satisfy me at all. Even what, what little they showed makes me less satisfied. So, uh, you know, this this works better as an ambiguous mystery, which I think maybe is true of a lot of mystery boxes. Okay, uh, a couple things I want to mention. I have mentioned this before, how many Canadian horror movies I do on Staff Picks. It's astounding. Like, almost half the horror movies I've covered are Canadian. So there's something that you guys are doing right up in Canada. I just have to tip my cap to, or my, my toque to you guys. Uh, why, thank you. I mean, I guess part of it may be that, you know, low budget. Uh, that somehow seems to be a... Uh... A driving factor you can do a lot of horror for very cheaply mm -hmm. um even tv now there's a lot of horror being made in, in toronto uh we had like hannibal and uh, uh bates motel and a bunch of stuff passed through here so uh 
um, you know, when you're trying to fulfill your CanCon regulations, the other, the other thing also to bear in mind, you know, because there's there's Telefilm. This is actually part of the Canadian Film Center, which is a film school. Um, they have a quota for how many movies they need to make that are quote unquote Canadian. But what you sometimes want to do, like a show like like a movie like this or a show like Are You Afraid of the Dark, um, it's technically Canadian in every way, but you'll notice that there's nothing in here that quite grounds the story as Canadian or American. Like, does this take place in the United States? We don't know. We don't know where any of these characters are actually from, which you would think would be a topic they would bring up. But uh, but that's deliberate so that this movie can pass as American while being wink-wink Canadian because the accent matches, like, the California accent, so... That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. It really just it could exist anywhere, which I think like my wife is a really big fan of this movie. She's the one that was really turned on to it the first time and got me to keep rewatching it because she loved all the the math stuff and everything. But yeah, it's a very universal movie, very approachable. Again, a good one for non horror movie fans. Although I will say from the top, Mark, I will be making a lot of Canadian jokes if you're okay with that. Uh, well, sure. Uh, I think I've joked about this before. I don't know if I was on air, but for the longest time, I thought you were Canadian. That was because the, the funny with Teen, the funny 115, the first couple of seasons of it, all the clips you had on the, the website had that global television bug in the in the corner of the screen. So that's when I'm like, whoa, clearly Mario from Ontario is Canadian. And <laughs> only later did I realize, oh, there's an Ontario, California. Just like all oh, half our towns are named for English cities. Somehow you named a town called Ontario. I don't know why. I consider myself dual citizenship once again. I've said this before. I grew up in Seattle, which is so close to Vancouver that it, it's not even like going to another country if you go between those two cities. So I, I consider myself half Canadian. So I'm allowed to make any Canadian jokes because I have full respect for our friends from the Great White North. Nice. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, one more thing I want to talk about is this movie, Cube, very simplistic. It's a simple plot, low budget, sci-fi, horror, and a one-word title. And I swear to God, there's two other movies I always get it mixed up with. There's three movies, and I will name the other two. One is called Exam, and one is called Circle. Are you uh, familiar with those two? I am not, but the circle intrigues me. Another basic shape. Hmm. <laughs> yes. But for some reason, I get all three of these movies. I'm not entirely sure if Exam and Circle are also Canadian, but something tells me there are. Now, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want Canada to come down and, and start a war with me or anything, but I swear these three movies feel so similar. They all feel like they're made kind of in the same universe. So I'm just uh, telling anyone, if you like this movie, Cube, go look up Exam and Circle. And of the three movies, I think they're all really well done. Hey there, this is Mario just inserting a little soundbite after I recorded this episode. It turns out that neither Circle nor Exam are Canadian, so I was completely wrong about that. But they are both fantastic, so go see them anyway. And, by the way, there's another one I thought of that's very similar to these movies called The Platform. So, there you go. All right, there's one more thing I want to say before we start. I just want to congratulate this movie on being the first thing I've seen in six months that didn't in any way remind me of the COVID pandemic, right? There's <laughs> there's nothing here. There's no, there's no scenes of crowds at baseball games or people people hanging out with friends or people sitting in the house alone. It's, it, it's just, it's benign. It has nothing to do with the current <laughs> state of the world right now. Thank you, Cube. So, people, if you want to be cheered up, if the pandemic has depressed you, go watch a movie where people's faces are burned off and they are cubed into tiny pieces. It will cheer you up.
Exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we're getting into the plot here. And I was just reading this this morning. This The movie, again, such a simple plot. It could not be more basic. It's basically five people trapped in this dystopian cube nightmare trying to figure out how to get out. And they have to work together. But it was originally inspired by a Twilight Zone episode. Now, I suspect, Mark, you may know this already. I did not. I've seen some Twilight Zone, and I got this Blu-ray box that I still need to get through. But uh, um, it would not surprise me that it—it it, it definitely. I think it was, I've read somewhere that it, it's it would have worked as the Twilight Zone concept, right? Yeah, the Twilight Zone one, if I recall, is called I think Five Characters in Search of an Exit, and it's basically the story of a soldier and a ballerina and like these five people all trying to climb out of this tube and they can't figure out how to get out and I'll, I'll ruin the ending for you at the end you find out they're all toys and they've fallen into into some uh, cylinder of cardboard or something but again it's the same story as this five people just wake up and they don't know how they got there and the whole movie is just we don't even learn who they are really you don't know much about them it's just how are they going to get out of this situation that's the whole movie honestly all right, so are you ready to walk through Cube? Uh, I will tread carefully. Let me get my boot ready, and I'll just uh, check the other side of this uh, this uh, podcast barrier, and I don't know where I'm going with this anecdote. <laughs> let, me, let me just get my button here. <laughs> All right, well, I will say there's a lot of math, very high-level advanced math in this movie. It's the mathiest movie I've ever done on Staff Pick. So I may be leaning on you to ex explain how some of these math things work to me. Are you, uh, you, you better not. I, I thought I was a math genius up until right around this time this movie came out. And uh, uh, it turned out I was only good at memorization. So um, <laughs> when math was just memorizing the multiplication tables or just doing a pattern, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm great at that. I, I apparently have really good memorization skills. But... In terms of actually figuring out math, like drawing on the metal panel there with a button to do formulas, I couldn't. I mean, that's that's not me. That's not me at all. Well, you are letting down the stereotype here that the Canadian school system is so much better than the American one. I was really relying on you here. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I'm not going to. The problem was I had I had a grade 12 math teacher who wasn't very good. We had people who were getting A pluses, suddenly getting Cs. He was also the head of the math department at that school. So, uh, you know, who are you going to call? <laughs> okay. Well, I will say my wife is a math genius, and she's right outside my door here. She says, if you come to any point in the podcast where you guys cannot understand the math, call me in, and I'll explain it to you guys. So we may we, we may have a third here. <laughs> During my viewing today, I had to look up what a factor is. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Here we go. We listen to two people fumble their way through an advanced math movie. <laughs> Well, apparently so did this movie, so, uh, so let's, go, let's go ahead. Okay, so again, the movie just starts. There's no exposition. There's no backstory. It opens with a, a dude waking up inside a cube. And what did you say his name was? Anderson or something? Uh, yes, according to the jacket, that his name is Anderson. And we don't even know who this guy was like. Maybe he's from like the last team to enter the maze. Maybe he's meant to be part of this team and didn't get very far. We don't know. Yeah, just some dude. Could be Canadian, could be American. He's, he's, he's one of the requisite Canadian weird guys. Uh, let me try to look up his name while uh, while uh, while we stall here. Hold on, because uh, you see this guy a lot here. Uh, not uh, At least in Canadian circles uh, here, or, or anything that's filmed in Canada, uh, he's just got one of those perfect faces, and I know friends and friends with him. He's just a, he's like the nicest guy, and 
really sad he doesn't get to make it a lot farther in this movie here. The classic movie cliche, the weird Canadian guy. Sure. <laughs> I mean, that's how you know it's, this is a, a, a non-American movie. Is that there's, there's, there's people who are not just attractive, young, young white people. <laughs> oh, I don't think you've been to America enough if you think we're all attractive, young people. No, but I've seen movies. <laughs> okay, so what did you say the actor's name was? Uh, Julian Richings. All right, well, he will not be in this movie for long. Right. He will not meet the rest of the cast. Yeah. So Anderson wakes up in a cube and gets this big 14 by 14 by 14 metal cube. There's a door on each wall. And the cube, I believe, is the first one is red, right? Or is it blue? The blue. I think the first one is white. I, I, went to mental, I made a mental note of this. It's like the first cube color you, you see should be your baseline. Because that's like, well, the only proper cube should be white because that's what the first cube was. I think, so I think the first one was white. Okay, so Anderson opens in a white cube. So he's looking around and he goes from one cube. They have his little doors, these metal doors, and he opens it and goes into the next room, which is blue. And he's looking around, and there's like a red cube and a pink cube. And he's trying to figure out what's going on. Like, he just woke up. He has a jumpsuit with his name on it. And before we get to know anything about him, before he even talks, he dies in a most heinous way. Yes, he is um, He is cubed, which is just you – can, you can just hear the audience go in, like, the Tiff Midnight Madness going, Ugh, awesome, Ugh, and – yeah, okay. To to point, paint a picture in your head, the name of the movie is Cube, and this is the worst death in the movie. It's It sounds a lot more gruesome than it really is, but it's basically a cheese grater, a big thing of cheese grating wire, just basically comes up and cubes him into little tiny cubes, and he slowly starts bleeding and falling apart and dies. Yeah, the timing is really good here, because you see him react to the death before you even know... What happened? You, you, you're sort of just catching up to him to see. Even he's like figuring out, what the hell just happened? Why is my hand falling apart? <laughs> yeah, that's the worst death. Well, I don't know. There's one more later. It's not really an especially gory movie. But yeah, this will set the tone nicely when your first character gets cubed a minute and a half into the movie. Yeah, it's kind of like a James Bond movie where the best action sequence is in the cold open. That's, that's kind of what this is. <laughs> yes. If that's what you're coming to the movie for, then you might be uh, – this, this might be setting yourself up, yourself up for a bit of disappointment. Okay, so he has been cubed. He dies. We learn very quickly that some of these cubes have traps in them, again, like Saw, and he dies. And now we cut to five other people, and we – again, the movie just basically starts with no exposition. Now there's five other people in adjacent cubes, and who who are these people, Mark? Okay, I wrote their names down here. Um, so uh, you have you have Quentin, uh, who is a cop. Okay, uh, you have Worth, who uh, who uh, he's uh, he's gonna. You'll see him shortly. He is a guy who you almost always see filmed on the ground. He's almost always sitting or kneeling or just laying down and looking up. Um, he's a guy. He's a guy who. Uh, uh, I won't spoil it yet, but he's key. apparently he has a desk job, right? He works in engineering of some kind. Um, you have uh, female Holloway. Uh, she is a doctor. You have uh, Levins, who is a uh, who's kind of a just a young young girl student, either high school or college. It's not really made clear. And then you'll then another one will join later. But that's who you see to start off with. 
Yeah, and again, these are the main characters in the movie. We'll add, we'll subtract one later and add one, but basically it's just five people trying to figure out how to get out of this maze of death traps and cubes. That's it. That's the movie. Oh, and I did. I, and I should have said there, there's also Rend, who uh, he's he's the escape artist, who is famous. If you've ever watched the Red Green show, he was Mike Hammer, who was uh, uh, quite like Ren. He was uh, he was a convict. He was in jail a lot, but unlike Red Green, in Red Green, he's the nicest convict you'll ever meet. He's like, oh, hi, Mr. Green. Yeah, I just uh, I was just running for the cops there, and uh, it was just oh, and <laughs> so it's, it's it's really jarring to see the range that that uh, this actor had. Um, he's a Canadian Meryl Streep, as they say. Yes, a Wayne Roberts. Uh, yeah, Wayne Robson, uh, a Canadian legend, and he also was very famous for playing Scrooge in our Canadian Tire commercials growing up there. So, uh, you guys have quite an industry up there I've never heard of. Uh, I mean, well, it's weird because I know the current Canadian Tire uh, spokesperson, and I asked him like about them bringing back the uh, Scrooge Santa stuff there, and he's like, "Oh yeah, the guy, I've asked him about that, and the people in charge don't even know about that." So. Um, <laughs> Uh, even even the people in charge don't know of our own heritage of commercials and <laughs> our homegrown talent. <laughs> okay, yeah. So these are the five characters. Uh, there's uh, Quentin. Uh, he's the black guy, the cop. He will take charge, basically the leader of this group. You have Worth, the desk job guy. Holloway, who's a, a doctor. Levin, who's a math student. And then Renz, who, as luck would have it, is a professional escape artist. He has escaped from, what, seven different prisons? And so they're going to lean on him very quickly at the start of the movie. Like, oh, wow, we need to get out of here. This guy does this for a living. And that's, yeah, and that's, and that's one thing that's very important off the start, is that you realize that... There's a purpose behind all of this. These people are not just picked randomly. This is a team that's been put together where each member theoretically brings an important skill to the table. They're, you know, they're not setting themselves up. They're not setting this group up for a complete failure. They're trying to give them a chance to survive, and they're, uh, they're giving them the tools they need if they choose to use them. So that's a very important detail here. And do you know, uh, I just read this little trivia fact today, that all the characters here are named after famous prisons in the world? I did know that, yes. Yeah. Quentin is named after San Quentin. Then you have Levin and Worth, and there's a Leavenworth prison. And Renz is apparently a French prison. So, yeah. So there's like a little in-joke that these are all prisoner names. Although, in the movie, none of them remember how they got here, why they're here. They just woke up, and they're in this cube with these jumpsuits with their names on it. So there's no backstory, and we're never going to get much either. Right. Uh, it, it's like I say, it's a story about the things you don't see. Um, you know, it seems chaotic, but uh, it, it's not completely un, unintelligent, as, in, as if to say there's – it's not as if the people controlling this are asleep at the wheel. There's a very clear purpose behind it we just don't know what it is you know and I, I think sometimes movies they sometimes lean towards too much ambiguity to say uh it's whatever you want it to mean <laughs> and uh and that's not quite what this is this is not just total chaos there is there is a structure to the madness here well okay i want to debate that a little bit is there a clear purpose to all this because that's kind of the whole point of the movie is there even a reason for this I would say that if there was no purpose, there would be more chaos. Like you, you like you know, like there's like Survivor. There's a way to cast Survivor. That's probably a bad misfire. I know it's our common thing we both know each other from. It's uh, um, you can cast Survivor with just a bunch of complete idiots, and it will just be a shit show. Or you can cast Survivor with people who are 
tailored it in some way. And you, what, you, what you're really trying to do with Survivor is you're trying to put together a cast that has chemistry with or against each other and that creates sparks, right? So uh, uh, you don't just pick people randomly. There's a purpose behind each person you select. And uh, that's what we're seeing here. You know, that's uh, uh, why is there... Why are, why are there two math geniuses here who have different skill sets of math? Well, there's a reason why for that. Why is there the greatest escape artist who ever lived with us here? Well, that's a skill set he brings. He can recognize um, you know, sensors in the walls, but he can't figure out the math, right? So uh, it's, it's a very carefully designed um, group. And uh, you know, so one of, the, one of the questions you'll sort of find as we go on is that to start wondering what is each person's purpose here to this group, and are we utilizing that skill set to our best abilities? And in some cases, we aren't. That's actually very well thought out. I, I, that's a much deeper answer than I expected. This, this is why I wanted to have you back on the show. I, I love the way your thought process works. Oh, thanks. You're basically the Kazan of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I, I won't go further with that comment, but... Uh... <laughs> Well, we haven't met Kazan. I'm spoiling a little bit. Okay, so here we go. So uh, this group of five is all in this cube, and they, one of them, the cop, uh, Quentin, says, you know, I was in a cube next to this, and something damn near cut my head off because there's traps. And so they all know they're in these cube things, and some of them are trapped and some of them are not. And this is where they rely heavily on Ren, the Ren's the escape artist, who has figured out if he takes off his boot and throws it into uh, the next cube any motion sensor that's there will be set off. So he's like, just follow me. I know how to get out of here. So at the start of the movie, we're just following Renz as he's throwing boots into cubes and they're just following him. And not, and not just the, the, the boots. It's that he, he's figured out all of the prisons. And so uh, they're just sort of uh, they're leaning on him because he'll think of the things the rest of them aren't going to think of, right? So uh, um, it's just it's very uh, utilitarian. He's, he, he only needs them, he says, because they have boots. Yeah, that's true. He, that's the only reason he lets them follow, because there's now four people. That's eight boots. So that's the only reason Renz is letting these, you know, uh, hangers on just follow him along. Yeah, just in case your boots get you gets torched or destroyed by a trap. You could just <laughs> you want to have something else you can use. Yeah, and these are nasty traps. These are not benign traps. These are you go in a cube that's trapped. Horrible, horrible things will be done to you. And it's, and it's very, there's a, quite a variety of traps too, right? You know, uh, sometimes you get like uh, the torch is your face, sometimes acid, sometimes, uh, you know, um, it's uh, they're very, you can see that there's somebody who's designing this. They're, they're, they're kind of like a whiteboard, like, okay, what do we want to do here? What kind of traps do we want to have? Uh, let's try to cover all the basics. So fire, cold, um, impalement. Um, oh, cute. I like that one. Okay, we'll write this one down at the top here. Um <laughs> Yeah, it must have been fun designing this movie. All right, let's have this person spontaneously combust. Let's do this. Let's do this. So, yeah, it is really like Saw. I just wonder, did they ever repeat traps? Like, not, not like in the movie universe. So they, do they ever get to the point where just like, we can't think of a trap here. Let's just reuse the, the cube one. I mean, it's not like they're going to discover the same trap twice, right? I mean, <laughs> what are the odds? And you know that some of the traps were probably less lethal than others. There's like probably one where somebody would get a pie in the face. It's like, well, it's not really lethal, but it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. You die, you die of embarrassment. Um, I mean, you see that there's some traps that you can get around certain traps. And I sort of think that's maybe the solution that isn't really explored by our characters here, that uh, maybe one of the ways through is to just find the loophole around each trap. 
Uh, they do it like once or twice, but uh, you know that may have been one of the potential solutions that are available. Okay, so let's explain these cubes. Now we find out very quickly. They're cubes. They're cubes. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Each cube has a little plate with it on it with a number, a unique nine-digit number. And the 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 younger girl, Levin, notices. Oh, this one's five six six four seven two seven three seven. So every cube is numbered. This will become extremely important later. They don't really know what the significance is. And the other thing about the cubes is there seems to be a rumbling. Every so often, there's like an earthquake sound or a shaking, and they can't figure out what it is. Now, you'll notice, notice though, with her, it's like um, at, at, at the very start, like you said before, they're leaning on wrens, right, to uh, to guide them through uh, the, the mazes, through, uh, through those cubes there. He's the escape artist. But, uh, and and, and uh, the, the girl you just referred to, um, uh, Levin. Levin. She, she, one of the first things she says is just like, I'm useless. I'm no one. I just go to school. I'm boring. I got parents. She, she doesn't have any particularly u unique traits to call upon or at least refer to herself with. And so what you'll see, uh, you know, um, should I just say it? Ren dies. Well, okay, let's get to that. Let's, let's kill Ren's first. Because I think, cause I think he dies before they, they notice the numbers, right? No, she notices the numbers right away. Okay. She she puts okay. she kind of touches it with her finger and looks at it. Okay, so they're following Renz, the prison escape artist legend, and he's throwing his boots in his cube. And at one point, he's like, you know, my boot didn't send off set off a sensor, but the air smells weird. He's like, there's some kind of electrochemical sensor in here. The boot's not going to work anymore. And so all of a sudden they realize this will not be as easy as they think it's going to be. And then Renz goes into the next room and quickly gets acid into his face. His whole face melts off because he trips some kind of electrochemical sensor. So the greatest prison legend escape artist of all time is dead. And now the other four are on their own. And he knows he's dead because you he, he, he see him enter the room, he hears the sound, and that's when he just goes, how do you tell it's Canadian? He does the Canadian med, and uh, uh, the, the, the acid, whatever, lowers from the ceiling, I guess from the ceiling, yeah, and sprays acid right into his face, and uh, that's it. Our only hope for escape just died, and now they need to, re, to, re, to rethink everything about what they're trying to do here. Wait a minute, so... You are taking credit for Merd. You're saying that's Canadian. That's not French. I mean, there's there, like some of the characters make French expressions here, right? I mean, uh, so. I I do think the country of France would take offense of you taking credit for Merd. Oh, I'm not saying we're taking credit for it. It's more just the, uh, you know, it's it's like why does Captain Kirk say French phrases every once in a while? Why does he say "c'est la vie" in Star Trek Three? Well, that's because it's just the Canadian influence of having a Canadian involved. It's just uh, uh, those French phrases might bleed into it more so, more so than the Spanish phrase might. And uh, um, again, it's one of those weird things that that uh, they're trying to figure out. What do you know about this cube? Where where was it built? And like, you never see them ask yourselves, well, or ask each other, well, where are you from? Right, if they all just went to sleep and woke up here, they might be. It might be. They might, if they want to know if they're in New Mexico, they might want to know. Well, where is everybody from? Are we all from the same town? Are we from the same state or province? That just never gets brought up. <laughs> yeah, it's seemingly unimportant. Okay, so Renz dies, their escape artist, and I should point out, as Mark mentioned earlier, this is the last person who dies in a trap the entire movie. Correct. Right. There's other traps that are triggered, but he is uh, he's the last trap victim in the literal sense. Unless you think the trap is each other. Ooh, metaphor. 
Yeah, I was going to say, that's why I hesitate to call this a horror movie, because from here on out, it's just them puzzle solving. Yes. Okay, so here we go. There's lots of exposition here. They try to figure out why are we here? What, what's our significance? And they notice that all their jewelry has been taken away, except Levin, the young girl, has been left with her glasses. Why was she allowed to have her glasses? So. And place glasses away. Come on, come on, Mario. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, well. Like, she needs jewelry. Glasses now. Like, uh, what do you leave her contact lens solution in the cube here? <laughs> Like I don't design cubes, Mark. I don't. I can't get inside their twisted Canadian thought process. Okay. <laughs> so we learn Levin now is going to become very important because she, with her glasses, she can read the numbers on each cube, and she discovers something very interesting here about which ones are trapped and which ones aren't. Uh, right. She she learns what is it? Um, if there if there if the three numbers if there's a series of three three digit numbers and if any of them are prime, right? Then it's believed that that room is trapped, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. A, a, a prime number, any one of the three digit, the three numbers, if it's prime, do not go in that room because it's trapped. Right. And, and at this point, I think I noticed they stopped doing the boot trick, which will return later on. But right now they've decided, okay, um, prime numbers, prime numbers, prime numbers. That's a, that's a bit bit of Canadian acting there that you see them. Not the best acting, but uh, it's, yes, they, they discover that prime numbers is a working solution. And they're just thinking, we're just going to keep pushing forward in one direction as far as we can, and hopefully we'll hit uh, some kind of a wall, right? Well, yeah, I mean, hopefully. if there's a way in, there's got to be a way out. <laughs> I'm like, is there? Is, what if, what if, is there is, I guess there's no way to counteract that logic. It, again, it's not a situation I've personally been in, so I have a hard time faulting their logic. They're they're just going to start going in a path in a straight line until they get out of the cube. And again, they don't know how big this is. They don't know anything about it. Although, this is where they they start. We learn who they are about how what Quentin has three kids, Holloway's a doctor, and Levin's a student. But we don't learn anything about worth, right? Nothing. Worth is very guarded. Uh, uh, he he's. He's played by uh, who is he played by? Uh, David Hewlett, who you you see a lot in Stargate SG One and Stargate Atlantis, playing a Canadian. Yeah, yes. Um, so, um, and I should also just say give credit to uh, Levin, played by Nicole DeBoer, who is in Deep Space Nine season seven. And uh, um, so, uh, yeah, yes, there another Canadian representation in Star Trek. <laughs> is she a math expert on uh, Star Trek? Um, she, it's complicated because she takes over a character who's had seven different lives. So, uh, one of those lives may have been as a, a mathematician. Okay. So theoretically she could. This is the final rabbit hole I have time for in this podcast, which is already going to be pretty long. So I don't want to get into the uh, minutia of the Dax and the trills and all that stuff. So I should point out, we did not mention this. Mark in his spare time runs a Star Trek podcast, right? Uh, yes. I was going to uh, sort of. Uh, pitch it at the top, at the end there, but Phaser Time uh, right now doing a series where we compare and contrast Star Trek to Star Wars. So, uh, so yeah, um, I'm still trying to work through my project where I watch every Star Trek episode. That is taking a lot longer than I thought it would, in part because COVID kind of made things too depressing. But I'm working through it now. So uh. okay, but yeah, anytime Star Trek comes up in a discussion of Cube, I will quickly derail us before Mark can go off on a tangent. So <laughs> don't take it personally. 
For sure. Okay, so, yeah, we just learned all about them, these four, and they're doing pretty well. And we're about to meet a new fifth character in the movie who is going to become very important. And they, they kind of stumble on him because they, at one point they have to go up. The only way out of a cube is up, and as they open the, the little portal, some dude falls into their cube, and this is where we meet the mysterious, what, Kazan? 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 Not, not, not. Are we going to Mandela effect this, uh, the Kazam? Yes, he's played by Sinbad. Okay. <laughs> I, I know I saw that movie. I'm deliberately not looking at what his original name was, but... uh. Yeah, Kazan. Now, Kazan is, they do not spell it out, but he's clearly some type of savant. Well, you don't know at first. Uh, it, it, it's very important you don't learn this detail until much later. He is, uh, um, um, just use my words carefully here, but he is, uh, he is, he has a mental condition. We'll say that he is, uh, he, he's, he's very, um, very distracted by loud noises. He can't handle uh, the red room very well. Um, so, uh, um, and and I sort of see you sort of see that his presence. I kind of brings out the worst of a lot of these characters because he he tends to uh, he tends to make a lot of noise to himself to sort of like soothe himself, and uh, so um, uh, this is where uh, the, the morality starts to really become a big deal because uh, there's a lot of pressure within the group saying oh he's he's useless he's just going to make too much noise he's going to annoy the hell out of all of us he pees in the corner uh, we got to leave him behind and uh, you know hey oh he becomes useful later on but uh, but you know it's a uh, this becomes a major plot point where it's like uh, the one are all like just leave him behind. They're like, uh, well, we'll come back for him once we find the way out. And uh, and then uh, Holloway, who's great in this, is just like, um, that's a lie, and you know it. So again, I'll dance around this carefully, like you were. We're not allowed to use the A word on this podcast. Um, ability. Ability. Well, yeah, okay. I'll fly. I'll say it just because I try to paint a picture. It's insinuated he's some kind of autistic savant, but they do not mention that. Like he does a lot of the the stimming behavior with his fingers. Just he bangs his head against the wall. So it's there's something cognitively different with him, and they cannot figure him out. But he's unpredictable, and he makes them nervous. That's right, and I think that's that's probably what's fair. It's like uh, even the characters are probably dancing around it, but uh, to certain degrees. And but some of them are just like. Uh, um, as people often are when they're trapped in a queue with no food and water, they become annoyed by this and uh, they start taking their rage out um, either towards this guy or towards anyone else. And uh, um, so it's a situation I think uh, we've, we've all been in, if, if not ourselves, we've seen people be in that spot. We've seen people behave in less than favorable ways, right? Less than, less than altruistic ways. Um, you know, people, people stereotype sometimes even people who are trying not to be mean oftentimes become even more mean in trying to compensate for that right well yeah it's yeah this, we'll talk about more that more as it goes along kazan compared to the rest of them is very childlike and they don't want to have to babysit him he's like i don't like this room i don't like red rooms i want to go back to the blue room i don't like green rooms so it's like he has a very childlike thought process and it immediately it becomes an ethical thing should we just leave this guy here to die and holloway the doctor says no we need to look after him he's coming with us so it really does like mark said becomes an ethical thing should we leave him here to die or bring him with us and they do reluctantly bring him with them now this is also at a point in the movie where uh, we're starting to see, um, you know, there's been they've been in this cube for what they believe to be about like eight hours or so. They can't tell time, but they can kind of tell by how much their beards are growing. Um, 
Quentin, who was, you know, Quentin has a very interesting arc here. He starts off as, you know, like you said, he's a leader. He is a, he's a cop, so he's a, a natural take command type of a personality. Um, and he was very, uh, he was very, you know, boosting people up, very, very positive, positive spirit. But around this midpoint, you start to see the shift happen. And, and that part of that could clearly be because he's not eating. So it's starting to affect his emotional state. He's now starting to look at the group and saying to himself and to others, what value do you bring to this? Obviously, Levens, the mass dork, she's useful. But he starts coming down hard on, uh, on worth. Um, the guy who we still haven't heard what he does, who he is, because he starts to revalue him as useless because he is contributing nothing. And to him, the worth of the people around him is what they contribute to society at large, which he expresses a lot, uh, and not, not just a cube solution, but to, uh, to society. And uh, so um, you can sort of see some of his personal bias is starting to seep into the cube there. Well, yeah, and one thing I wanted to point out is that exactly what you touched on is they really do a little 180 here is that Quentin, again, the cop, says, I have kids. Nobody else here has kids. And, you know, he starts saying, I need to get out of here for my kids. I need to get to them. Yeah, he basically says, I have kids, so my life is worth more than you, that I'm worth more out there. So he really uses it as a weapon against everyone else. I am more valuable. I will do whatever I can to get out of here. You guys better get out of my way. So it's interesting that that logic is used to turn him evil towards the end. Oh, yeah, and uh, you'll see this later on. And we're bouncing around here. It's kind of hard to structure, go through the structure of a movie that takes place ostensibly in one room. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but he, he gets very pissed off at, at later on at Holloway for uh, uh, being a single, childless, unmarried woman who, uh, in his eyes, is just a bleeding-heart liberal who uh, is just a... Uh, no wonder you're like this. No wonder you're single. And he's just... Uh, when he when the, when his starvation is really starting to take hold, he's really starting to come down hard on anyone around him. Okay, so let's get into the plot here. I want to walk through this so we can kind of explain this movie to people. So the prime number thing is working. Levin, the young girl student, has figured out if an, the number of the cube has a prime in it, then it's trapped. But all of a sudden, that system does not work out. Is that the cop, Quentin, goes into a room they think is safe. He's almost, you know cubed by a cheese grater wire again he barely escapes uh, that's the most horrifying trap i gotta say yeah what exactly is that trap it happened so fast i kind of missed what it's trying to do um so it's like uh these i would say steel cables from the ceiling to the to the floor arranged in a circle and you almost don't even see it he steps into the middle of the circle uh before uh, before levin who's behind him sees it tells him to stop he realizes he's surrounded, and he's able to dive out just in time, but this circle of uh, wires starts to twist in on each other, trying to, uh, I guess, squishing. It's hard to describe without a visual aid, but it, it seems to try to squish him, and it, it, it barely, it, 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 it scratches his leg in a very painful way, and uh, so he gets out just in time, and they go back, and uh, I would argue they could have maybe just walked around that thing maybe afterwards, but <laughs> You know, who, who am I to judge when I'm not in the cube with a life and death problem? Okay, yeah, but yeah, so they thought this cube was safe, and it wasn't. And 
all throughout the scene, Kazan, the guy who's, you know, kind of cognitively different, is screaming. He's like, ah, ah, ah. Like, he somehow knew this room was trapped and nobody else did. So they're wondering, how does that guy know what's going on? And this will become important later. I believe it was it was worse. Yeah, the guy who we've mentioned before who's always on the ground, uh, he, he sort of hints that uh, he gets to sort of read on him that he knew this room was trapped. No, he didn't. Uh, they start pressuring on him, and then he finally says, there is no way out, right? Yeah, let's explain that. Okay, this is a very important part of the movie where Worth, the guy who has said nothing the entire movie, now lays out his entire backstory and basically explains why they're fucked. Or at least why he believes they're fucked. And uh, I feel like this is one of those things where his position on their on their status is kind of influenced by his point of view on life, right? Um, he, so uh, he, it's one of the most my, it's one of my most favorite scenes in the whole movie, just because you sort of see not the point of view of the movie, but the point of view of the characters really get posited here. Uh, so he is he's basically an engineer of sorts who works behind the desk, right? He was contracted at some point to uh, design a hollow shell of a huge cube. That's all he knows, but he, he did the work for several months, just sort of taking the paycheck and didn't, he didn't know what the purpose of it was, but he didn't care because this was a easy paycheck and he was talking to people on the phone. They didn't know what it was and no one cared. This may, may have been a government job, who knows, but this was like a tender job he enjoyed doing. And uh, so he at least recognizes this, this basic shape, right? Well, yeah, to make a long story short, Worth built this cube unknowingly. So he knows what it is and nobody else does. Well, he, he, well, he at least knows of it, I, w I would say, that, right? Then one of the key things he points out is that no one, no one person knew the whole extent of this whole thing, what it was. They just knew their own part. It's like, it's like if you ever work at construction as a tender, it's like uh, you only ever really know the tender of your specific part of the building, whether it's the carpentry or the brick laying or the foundation. Um, you generally don't care what you're building because, you know, in my case, it's just houses. So, of course, we know what it is. But a lot of the times you're in construction, you're just happy to have work and have a paycheck. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, worth knows about he like he doesn't know all the specifics of this giant structure they're trapped in but he tells them it's 434 foot squared i don't know who hired me i don't know who built it i don't know why it's here other than if you build it you might as well use it so that's why we're here because they want to see the if it works but he said he basically explains the dimensions and levin the math girl figures out oh my god if this is 434 feet squared that means there are 17,576 rooms overall. And the other people are like, oh, my God, we're never going to get out of here. That sounds like so much labor. <laughs> I know. Again, if, you get, if you've got the job designing, like building those cubes, you're not going to question because you're like, well, this is like a year's easy work building cubes. You're not going to ask what this is. not going to ask what this flamethrower is here for or the the gas line for the flamethrower or the uh... <laughs> this is like the hh H. holmes murder castle <laughs> exactly <laughs> although okay this is where i got to point out just uh, we step away from the movie for a second how awesomely low budget this movie is there's ostensibly seventeen thousand cubes in this structure but when they filmed it they only used one every single cube in the movie is the exact same room they just change up the the uh, color and decoration a little bit that's right. Uh, anytime you see a cube behind another cube, that's them just putting a. Uh, they have like a uh, 
kind of a background of a cube way off in the distance to sort of set up the optical illusion. But uh, uh, yeah, you are almost, pretty much the entire movie is just this one room. It's really awesome when you know that and you watch it. You're like, oh my God, it doesn't look like it's the same cube over and over, but it really is. Oh yeah. Um, uh, yay movie making. Yay cheating. We... Yay Canada. Yay in one, 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 one warehouse. <laughs> Okay, we're going to learn a couple things here. Is that worth the guy who built this cube explains there is an escape. There's one door that leads to a bridge that takes you out of here. So there is a way out. There's still a little hope. And this is where Levin starts realizing what her issue with the math was, why, you know, just calling, looking for a prime number was a little too simplistic and why it didn't work. And this is where I struggle because now we start getting into the deeper math in this movie. Yes, and I didn't take too many notes about the math, really. Um, so did you? Okay, well, I did. I was going to give you the honor. The three numbers on each cube are Cartesian coordinates, which is like an X, Y, Z axis. It's like a map of where you are three-dimensionally in space. And so she figures out that it's not so much that it's prime, it's that that's actually a map, and its factors of primes become the big deal, which is much bigger. Right, uh, but I don't think uh, I think only later that if I think they learned about the uh, the factors much later on. I think. Okay, I think that's okay. Let's go through the room where Kazan almost kills everybody, and then that, they learn the factors right after that. Well, I do I do want to bring up one thing though. Uh, just 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 before we go too far there, because um, um, one of the one of the big discussions that is had throughout this group is the meaning behind this. Uh, Holloway, who we haven't talked about too much, uh, the doctor. Um, you know she. Uh, uh, she immediately assumes this is the government, right? Um, this is all the some government. Um, he, she refers to the military-industrial complex. Um, that this is clearly the work of that. Only something this ugly could be done by the government. And is the cube ugly? I question mark. I don't think it's. It's beautiful in its own way. Yeah, it's, it's got a it's got a simple beautiful beauty to it. I I, I was with why I feel it's only ugly because it kills people. I think. <laughs> As many of the most beautiful things in nature are. I mean, when you work at when you work at home building, sometimes peop, the the standards people have for what is and isn't ugly can be can be rather arbitrary. Uh, some people think a grain pattern being off is ugly. So, um, I guess to her, this could be ugly. Okay, yeah. Well, yeah. The short version is McQuentin, the cop, and Holloway, the doctor, hate each other's guts. They're gonna fight, you know, like cats and dogs, and it will escalate to a, a scene coming up here. Right, and like Quentin, because he's a cop, you know, he she sort of points to him saying, uh, you know, this is your this is your doing. You're the government. You're like the law and order type people. And uh, he's like, I don't know anything about this. This is not the military industrial complex. There's no such thing. And that's another thing where I'm kind of wondering, okay, are these Canadians or Americans? Because <laughs> the military industrial complex isn't that big of a thing in Canada, although we do sell guns to some people. So, so I don't know. She refers to to I think. Uh, Saskatoon at some point, so it kind of implies that they're Canadian, but I don't know. But um, I never thought about that. So yeah, the, the Canadian industrial or military industrial complex is not quite a thing, is it? Uh, no, he he refers to her. I think she says she works for a free health clinic. So again, I'm like, well, all the free all the healthcare clinics in Canada are free to to a certain extent. So uh, I guess maybe this is the state because he seems very bothered by her working for free or working for i guess freeloaders i mean not being american i never really met the person who's like oh these freaking free clinics it's just people <laughs> leeching on society so i i haven't met those people but um <laughs> wow you really have not been to america much have you 
Well, I don't talk. We don't talk about. I don't talk about healthcare when I'm down there. Let's just say that. Yeah, she's very quick to jump on the idea that this is all part of a big conspiracy, and she wants to believe that there's a big conspiracy. And and uh, uh, worse, he when he expl- he's explaining at least what he knows, he's very clear. I have a quote here saying, "There is no conspiracy. Nobody is in control. It's a headless blunder under the illusion of a master plan." And again, I don't think that's quite what's going on, but I do like this idea that this was something that was started with a purpose and later lost that purpose. It's like it's like an amusement park, right, where um, certain it, the ride was built with all of these special effects, and those special effects kind of just died off over time, and now there's just like sort of a the shell of a, of a ride structure there that used to have a purpose to it, and now it's just sort of left behind there, and uh, we still use it, but all you see is the rest of the history of what was there before without any actual current point to it. Um, that's what he thinks this is, which is just the leftover of past past hubris, I guess. Kind of like Saskatchewan, am I right? Uh, sure, a lot of flat land. Saskatchewan's just flat. Saskatchewan's basically a cube. It's basically, it's, just, it's a basic shape, so if you're going to fit a cube there, it'll either be there or Colorado. <laughs> okay. For, for the fourth time, let's try to get to the soundtrapped sound room here. Sorry. Okay, so here we go. This is a very tense scene. Is that Levin has figured out these are Cartesian coordinates, and she's like, you know, if I if this tells us on the map where we are, we're only seven rooms from the edge of the cube, so we have to go this way. And this becomes a problem because one of the rooms is trapped, and they have to go through a trapped room. This is a very tense scene. Yeah, like all the other rooms around them are also trapped, and so they either backtrack or they just try to get through the trap. And this is an especially nasty trap, too. This is one of my favorites. Yes, and possibly possibly uh, scientifically impossible if you're uh, – what, what they, they, if, you if you make a sound, these um, steel poles extract from the, all the walls, I guess, which, you know, where are these, where are these, being, where are these things being held? I guess because they, they fold in on each other. I guess there's theoretically room for them. Well, yeah, it's uh, if you've never seen the movie, picture a movie with a spiky pit where spikes come out on the walls and they start pressing together. This room is like that, but it happens instantaneously. All these spikes come out and just cover every square inch of the room, and then they slowly retract back into the wall. It's like an instant death trap if you make a noise. Yeah, so they they they, they do say, how come the, the the door didn't activate it? Well, it's it's designed so that it doesn't. Get triggered by that, and every time I watch this, the one thing I'm thinking of is that, well, the since the thing doesn't attack you through the door opening, if you just stick to the space adjacent to the doors, the the, the openings of the doors, you'll be safe, right? As long as you stay within those 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 narrow channels there, if you make a sound, then you'll be fine, right? But we never test that. Okay, yeah. To get across this room, they have to make it silently and it's a really creepy blue room i love this scene and they have to silently creep across it otherwise all these spikes will come out and impale them and it's a problem because kazan again again remember the really nervous uh we we won't say autistic but the nervous guy makes noises he's always going ah 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 because he's scared and they're very terrified he's going to say something or make a noise and it's going to set everything off so this is where we have the ethical question that mark raised earlier should we just leave him behind and holloway the doctor will not let them leave him behind here right and that's if you want to know what's her purpose that's probably one of her big purposes to this group which is the humanitarian mm-hmm. position right and um the healer the helper um 
Because even people you'd like there in this in this group, they're still like, oh, we should just leave them behind. And it's like, no, you you that's that's horrible thing to say. But uh, so there's there's a lot of risk, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of stakes here. It's a very uh, nerve wracking moment. Yeah, and she is the conscience conscience of the group. And again, they all get through here. But at the last minute, Kazan makes a little sound of joy that they get through. Uh, the the cop Quentin almost gets impaled. And again, just a it's a very nasty scene, and it's really just fighting from here on out. It's Quentin the cop and Holloway the doctor fighting over if they should bring Kazan. And it's going to culminate in a scene here where they finally reach the edge of the cube, the very end of it. Yes, I think it was a red room that they they reach and uh, they they look out and they can see they can see what is like like a space between the cubes and the outer wall and uh, so now they're wondering well where's the door? Yeah, it's nothing basically. It's just a big bottomless pit. They get to the edge of the cube, they open the door, they look outside, and there is no way out. This is not the bridge room that Worth promised them. They're just kind of stuck here. So sad. When you think it's over, you know, like. Yeah, well, again, every time I'm trapped in a giant cube structure, when I get to the edge and it's not the exit, I get pissed. And it's like playing a video game, right, where you have no idea how long the game is, and because modern video games are just constant action, it's just like, well, that's a climax, right? Well, oh, no, that was apparently just chapter three out of 15. <laughs> yeah, I always forget they get to the edge of the cube, and there's still 40 minutes left in the movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Okay, so we're about to lose a character here. This is a heartbreaking scene where Holloway, the doctor, says, you know, lower me outside the cube. I want to see what's outside because, you know, it's just a big shell that Worth had built. She gets a bunch of clothes. They tie them all together. And all right, well, this is, this is, this is not before, uh, before uh, Quentin called her out for being – God, I, I'm not, I don't even like to say this. Uh, this is why you don't have sex. This is the kind of woman you are for not having, being married and being single. And he, he really lays into her for life choices that are really none of his business. But you can tell he's just getting angry. He's kind of, he hasn't eaten or slept, hasn't had water. He is, he's mentally losing it now. Yeah, and again, he uh, he and Holloway do not get along, and she's challenging his leadership. She's like, let me go outside the cube, see what's out there. And Quentin, the cop, sees it as an opportunity, and here comes one of the more horrible scenes where he is going to drop her to her death. Yes, I mean, they almost, they, they, she's, trying to, she's trying to find a, a door on the other side, can't find it. They're all holding her, they're supporting her with uh, their weight. They've tied together all of their jackets together, and she's hanging from those trying to swing across to the other side to find something and there's nothing there. And so she's trying to pull her back. Uh, she almost falls, but they, but uh, Quentin just barely is able to pull her back up. They smile. And then just the most terrifying shift. How do you want to say it? Um, it's the turn. This is where Quentin goes full villain. Yes. A heel turn, as they say. The heel turn. Oh, damn, yes. Um. <laughs> so Quentin, the cop, kills the doctor, the only nice one, the conscience, and drops her to her death. And now he's basically a tyrant. He's like, there's no way out of here, but I need to get out of here to my kids. And he basically just starts beating everyone up. He beats up Worth. He tries to smack around Kazan. And now he just openly picks up Worth, throws him into a cube to see if it's trapped or not. He's just this huge bully, and this will culminate in them trying to to ditch him. Yes, well, he throws Worth down into the cube below, and then Worth starts laughing because what does he find in the cube below? Oh, hey, 
Look, it's it's Ren, his corpse with the, the face melted off. Remember that guy? We've been going in circles. Yeah, this is a huge plot twist in the movie. They have been going through cubes, avoiding traps for 10, 12, 15 hours, whatever. And all of a sudden, they end up right back in the same cube they were in to start the movie. And they have made no progress at all. And it's a huge gut punch to them. Like, we're never going to get out of here. And that's like in video games where you forget to save. <laughs> yes, they forgot to make a save point. God damn it. Although, although, Mark, there is there is a benefit here because Worth realizes something right away that's interesting about the fact that they're back in the same cube they started as. Uh, right, because they, they realize, well, the, the edge of the – they've seen below. They've seen that they're, they're along the edge of the, the cubes, right? But based on the position of the body, he should have been killed in a room that is no longer there anymore. They go to the room where he should have been killed, and uh, you also notice at this moment Worth suddenly becomes – a little more involved. He's the one who suddenly wakes up and says, I'm just going to go check. Hey, wait a minute. Why is there nothing in that room? Why is there another room there? Um, Rand should have died there. So how is this room empty? And you finally see for the first time Worth is uh, getting involved in the problem solving here. So do you think he knows more than he lets on? Uh, I don't think he is, but I do think that, uh, you know, um, and one of the big, you know, I'm more about the, the thematic ideas and some of the, the character positions. You know, early on, he's kind of identified as the nihilist. You know, nothing matters. None of this means anything. Uh, we're all we're all screwed regardless. And, uh, you know, he, he says life had no meaning before he was in the cube. His, and that, and to certain people, that's kind of given him a selfish comfort. Because if you don't care about anything, then, uh, you know, you can take the lazy way through everything. And so, um, you know, this is him seemingly starting to care about something, maybe because he actually is finding he likes Levin's maybe, that's kind of suggested here. Um, he kind of is rooting for her survival, even if he, he doesn't care about his own. Um, so uh, you sort of see here him finding his purpose in the middle of all this. His purpose is to maybe help Levin's escape and also to defeat Quentin. That's kind of what him he's discovering his, uh, his worth, so to speak, is. In the words of Steve Martin, I've found my special purpose. Someone will get that joke. Okay. So. <laughs> not me. Yeah, not you. I, I, need, I need to watch more Steve Martin. Yeah, that's from The Jerk. I think it's a masturbation joke, if I recall. Okay. All right. So here is the major plot of this movie. If you've, tried bit, if you've tried to have been playing along at home here, that they've been in these cubes. Certain ones are trapped. Certain ones are not. You need to find ones without a prime number to go into the real ones. But at the same time, the cubes have been shifting. That's this, this uh, rumbling, this, uh, this uh, thunder they've been hearing every so often, that the cube moves like a Rubik's Cube. So it's important to know in the Cartesian coordinates where they are, but you also have to factor in different permutations of where you could be. And again, this is where it gets really deep into the math, and I don't really even know. My wife could explain it better than I can, but it's... Uh, Levin and Worth start trying to talk about permutations. We have to figure out permutations of factors, and this is where it gets really math-heavy. I mean, they, they kind of cheat some of this by having long, long montages, not well, short montages of her doing math by by writing on the steel panels there. Uh, so, so she she does some math in her and that we don't understand. It's kind of like Star Trek. Well, here we go, techno babble. We can't we can't we can't figure out an organic way to solve this problem, so we'll just make up problems and make up a solution to that problem, and therefore we have a solution. But it, it certainly seems 
convincing that uh, she's figured out the math here, that these are Cartesian coordinates, and that uh, the traps can be identified by uh, by roots, sorry, the factors of the numbers. Because the key thing here is that they were using prime numbers beforehand, and it worked almost all of the time, but not quite. The factors weren't wrong. It was just the factors were a part of something even more complex that was just happening to result in the factors and the prime numbers working, right? Does that make sense? It makes just as much sense as the movie does. Okay. <laughs> it's funny. If, if, if you go to the Internet Movie Database and look at the trivia, they point out that a lot of the math in this movie is actually incorrect. Yeah, but what our mutual friend, I think Will Hatch, pointed it out that, uh, that he, he realized a while back that the math is is wrong. It's oh wrong. My it's, God. Yeah, it's not only doesn't make sense, but some of their problems they're doing are wrong, and we'll get to that in a second. Kazan apparently gets certain factors completely wrong, <laughs> and then no, and you're in the theater, you're not going to fact check this, right? You're not going to pull your calculator or I guess your iPhone now and, uh, and and just okay, hold on, let me just check that factor there. Uh, wait, wait, wait a second, audience, this doesn't work. Yeah, this is without question the most math-heavy horror movie you are ever going to see because it's all permutations and factors and prime numbers and powers of a prime from here on out, and so. Basically, once Levin figures this out, oh, these are Cartesian coordinates, they can change, we have to factor in permutation. She's like, I have to be able to factor in multiple prime numbers, I have to figure out multiple factors of nine-digit numbers. She's like, I can't do that, nobody on Earth can do that kind of math, it's way too advanced. And this is where we find out what Kazan's special purpose is, that he is indeed a math savant. Oh my God! We sh the good thing we didn't kill him, hey eh, guys. That's what you would call immoral, guys. <laughs> yes. Cue, cue, the, cue the savvy full house music. It's like, see, Jesse. Sometimes you can't just kill people because you don't think they're useful. Sometimes they might have another purpose later on in life. Okay, Dad. Were they killing people regularly on Full House? <laughs> I I don't know, but I remember Full House always had a moral, right? Okay. I just making sure you didn't jump too far there. Like, was Kimmy Gibbler killing people left and right? Um, I I. <laughs> I'm not going to get saying that one. So from here on out, it's just math, math all over the place. And again, the Internet Movie Database points out that there's several points when it's wrong. But Kazan, the guy who knows math and doesn't say a word, they're like, uh, is this a prime number? How many factors are this? And he's like, three, two. He can do it immediately off the top of his head. So he knows he can tell them which rooms to go in that will be safe even when it's shifting. And again, I couldn't fucking explain this to anybody, but it somehow makes sense in the movie. Now, are you bothered by by a bit of this though, where it's like like earlier on, like you know, I think I think generally we all kind of like Levens, but watching it this last time, I'm really starting to watch closely to see is she really a good person? Because she's one of them who was very much on the side of we don't need this Kazad, he's annoying. He and she's trying to choose her words carefully, but she's very much like. We'll come back for him. We we don't need him. And and she was she was very much on the side of abandoning him. Well, now that he's got an important skill, they can't. They 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 now they like him, right? They they love this guy. It's like it's like that Rain Man thing. It's like well, it's okay if you're autistic if you are good at counting cards, right? Now that we can monetize your 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 being different for our own gain. Now we like him? Is is that the kind of people that we are now? So Levin's a flip-flopper? That's your problem with her? Uh, maybe. I mean, you, she only, is she only liking Kazan because he's helping her with her math and helping them escape? I mean, um, it's 
is that the only reason they like him um, now? It's uh, I don't know if the movie has an answer to this, but I think the movie's daring us to think that now, right? Well, it's not like he has a sparkling personality. Why else would you like him that much? <laughs> You don't think he, he's, he's going to make good confessionals to the camera? No, I don't. Well, okay, I will. I know you. I, I see the point you're making, and it's the Rain Man thing. Tom Cruise just exploits his brother because he can make money off him. I've never even seen Rain Man. I just know that the movie has a scene where, because he counts cards, suddenly they like him now. Oh yeah, Tom Cruise loves him because he can make him rich. Yes. And that, see, that backs up your point. I will, I will concede that this movie's a little different because they're in a life and death situation where they need skills and people who are quiet and will not make noise. So he was very much a danger to them. So it doesn't quite, it's not quite the same parallel. Now, recently, I've, I've gone through a point where I'm starting to understand that I might be autistic. I haven't been tested, so I'm not going to say I'm a diagnosed autistic person, mm -hmm. but I have read this sort of thing where, um, you know. One of the things pop culture has done for us is is try to convey this this really bullshit mess, message that it's okay if you're autistic because uh, you have special skills. You sh if you are autistic, you should have special skills that people can monetize, and that's why you're good. So implying once again that you're only as good as your material worth, right? Um, and so it's, it's it's in many ways it holds back the whole community because if you don't have a, a easily identifiable special skill then you're kind of uh, left out, right? Uh, you know, it's like that's like that. It's like that ableism pornography from the CIA. I don't. Maybe I should turn that. I'll maybe I'll, I'll change that phrase. I'll, that's those memes you see, right? Where they're like, uh, it shows a person who's disabled missing an arm and saying, um, "This person's a hero. This person has hope." And uh, it's like what it, it's it's kind of doing is using those images to make you feel good, without actually addressing what actually this person has to go through. You're just it's like this person has to deal with this all the time, where you're just using it to pump yourself up, right? And so, um, um, what was my original point there? <laughs> well, that they like Kazan because now he has a skill. Right, and I will say I won't. I'm not going to judge the movie badly for doing this because, as I said before, every person in this group, by whoever's controlling this cube, picked Kazan out of all the autistic people out there because he was a mass savant, you know. And then uh, he's chosen. For the, to, to dare these people to say, either leave him behind and waste his talent or keep him and you'll be able to use him. Um, but it's, it's, they're basically daring them to, to be horrible people and be punished for it later on. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the way I look at it, it's not quite as deep as the way you look at it. It's just from a cinem cinematic point of view. It's an awfully easy cliche just to throw an autistic guy in the movie and say, oh, he's good at math. He'll fix all the problems. Like that's – it, it presents – presents a very skewed view of autism to people where they just assume everyone's a savant and knows math, which obviously is not the case. But you see movies like this, it's a really easy crutch to do. Oh, this guy's autistic. He's going to fix all the math stuff. Right. And I only say that in this, in this particular universe, we can at least say that the people controlling the cube picked him because he is a savant. That's the one thing we can sort of, sort of lean on a little bit. I don't know if it's completely, uh, completely, uh, progressive to say that but it is at least that's at least the in-universe explanation for why he's chosen out of all of the ones in the world they could choose yeah and to be fair they never say in the movie he is autistic it's kind of implied but they don't flat out spell it out he could just be a math guy i mean none of no one in this group is qualified to diagnose it so uh right yeah of course. well holloway might have been but she's no longer here right <laughs>
Okay, let, let's get to the end of the movie here. So the last part of the movie is uh, basically uh, Kazan and uh, Levin figuring out the Cartesian coordinates, the powers of the prime, and Kazan can figure out prime numbers and powers of prime in a second. And at a certain point, they decide to ditch Quentin, the cop, because he's a bully, and they basically trap him behind. What's the science too, really? It's not, it's not really a group decision where to decide suddenly, spontaneously, he's going to crush him, uh, choke him with the other door. And uh, we don't quite know if Levin is on board with this, but she has been, you know, kind of grabbed by him a couple of times. He, he, tried, he tried to grab her and take her off by her. By, by by just the two of them to uh, to escape just the two of them and she didn't much like that um you know inter- interesting twist early in the movie she's hugging him for emotional support and then at the end by the end of the movie she's terrified of him now well yeah that's because Levin Levin goes through quite a little story arc in this movie I think she's probably the best character. Okay, let, let's jump ahead to the end, because we want to talk about the ending and the sequels here. So at the end of the movie, they ditch Quentin, the cop, and it's just Worth, Kazan, and Levin get to the final room, which is a bridge that Worth has told them, and it's basically, they can escape. This, this, this room has moved into the correct position, into the bridge, and they can escape the cube, and they get there, and they're all ready to escape. And then the cop, Quentin, shows up, stabs Levin. I forgot that she dies a pretty horrible death. That's terrible. Uh, yeah, and then stabs Worth. It's a weird ending because yeah, they 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 find the exit, um, and you know uh, at least an exit. Whether or not it's the exit, who who knows? Um, but there's a bright light. You know, hey, hello, religious religious allegory here. Bright light, hello heaven, whatever. Um, uh, and they are presumably about to leave, but Worth kind of just sits down, as he's been doing before. Um, he kind of just gives up, even though the X is right there, um, which is an interesting choice. Um, like I said before, he seems to now have only been motivated by the idea of saving saving Levins, and maybe Kazan, who knows. Uh, now that he's theoretically done that, he's kind of just uh, accepted his fate to say that, you know, I'm still going to be a lonely man outside there. I'll be a lonely man inside here. I got nothing more to live for. Um, so it's a, it's a heartbreaking moment to think that he might just stay behind, stay in this cube that he, well, he helped build. So he probably has guilt. He has guilt. And he's got a guilt about his life choices, I guess. Uh, I just sort of maybe just the meaningless of his life up to that point there. Right. Uh, as probably a lot of us do. Um, and then, I don't know if I like the ending. And it's horror movies. I guess sometimes horror movies deal in these horrible, gruesome endings. But I think I wrote this down. Each time I see the ending, I kind of hate it for different reasons. And one of them <laughs> is that, yes, I'm, I was when I first saw this, I was like a, a, a teenager, young adult who had a crush on Levin. So what can I say? She's a, a smart girl with glasses. It's, and she was, you know, she was just that right age where I could be attracted to her. So, uh, yes, yeah, so it's hard to watch good people be murdered. Mm-hmm. But it's also, you know, is that is that just the hubris of this whole thing? Is it because she wanted to leave Kazan uh, behind? Is that her being punished for her uh, her sins earlier in the story? Uh, does anyone deserve to be punished in that way? Um, but more to the point, watching it this time, I was just kind of feeling like they should have seen Quentin enter the room, right? Yeah, you can hear him if you listen. You can hear him right behind them. First several times I thought I didn't hear it, and then the last time, the first time I watched it with this podcast, I'm like, oh, you can, you can faintly hear a door open, but if you can hear the door open, why do they not notice that? Uh, 
Does the film grammar is just a little weak here? I kind of feel like this is a, one of those things where the uh, filmmakers had an ending in mind, couldn't quite figure out how to stage it, and so <laughs> it, it just looks a little, little, a bit more than a bit sloppy. Well, yeah, I mean, to to paint a picture for people who haven't seen it or, or haven't seen it recently, the only guy who's going to escape the cube is Kazan, who is the innocent math savant. Everyone else is going to die, and it's, yeah, I do agree with you. It's like they, they wanted that ending, and they have to make a bunch of stuff happen in the last 30 seconds to make that happen. Right, and, uh, you know, maybe there's so many different ways to read it, because he, he, we see Kazan exit into a bright white light. You don't see him exit to, into a doorway or to a uh, party with cake with it. Sorry, I was playing Portal earlier, so I had that burned into my head here. Um, great game, Portal. Um, you don't you don't see what's the other side of that door. You just see white light, which you could read it one way that maybe this is purgatory, lest some people think Lost was. Um, this is all like a, like a final test for these people to see, uh, do you deserve to go to heaven or you deserve to stay here in hell. This is your last final test. And Kazan, who hurts no one, is is completely innocent in all ways. He earns heaven. Is that one way of reading this, maybe? Yeah, I mean, that's how I read it. He's the pure one and the innocent one. He has committed no sins, so he is allowed to escape. Everybody else has some kind of flaw or some error in judgment or morality along the way, and they all die because, as Renz said earlier in the movie, the enemy is each other. Watch out for each other. It's like every zombie movie. The real zombies are each other. Am I right, folks? <laughs> yes. Although, if this was a zombie movie, Kazan would immediately be shot by all the people trying to rescue him. Okay. <laughs> um, well, spoiler for something we're going to discuss later on. But, uh, um, yeah, like I said, there's like we haven't seen any traps now since since the sound room, right? It's all just been... The horror has been each other. Like, my question is, what if Holloway, the doctor, do to like deserve death? Was it just, it, it's he? She pissed off Quentin, but that's that's not a crime worthy of death, is it? It's not so much a crime that she did anything wrong. It's more uh, Quentin's heel turn. Like she was innocent as well. She challenged her leadership. She didn't recognize evil and danger, and that's probably her sin. She did not recognize he was dangerous. Uh, so it's it's a crime of uh, of ignorance. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's the uh, the girl who walked with Ted Bundy to his car in the middle of the dark train track. Like, it's the crime of ignorance. You weren't careful enough. That's unfortunately how it goes sometimes. Uh, I guess so. I mean, that's horror movie logic sometimes, where it's just a, whoever sins, that's that's what they deserve. And, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes these horror movies, when they're ambiguous, you can easily infer some religious symbology into it, I guess. Um, well, yeah, and keep in mind, if good people aren't dying, it's not a horror movie. It has to horrify you. That's that's the whole point of the genre. Uh, yes, I, I've had head cannons where I watch this, where I just tell myself, "Oh, they lived," right? Because that's what I want to believe, and it doesn't it doesn't doesn't matter. None of this happened, anyways. Uh, so I kind of disregard the last minute of the movie. <laughs> but uh, that's not the movie that we're seeing, unfortunately. It's uh... yeah. Let, let me sum it up for people. Uh, Kazan escapes. Uh, Levin is going to escape too, but the cop Quentin comes up and stabs her and then Worth gets stabbed. And then the cop Quentin is going to escape right behind Kazan, except Worth in his one last act of heroism, grabs Quentin, doesn't let him escape with Kazan. 
And when the cube shifts, again, these cubes shift every couple minutes, it's basically an elevator, and you don't see it, but Quentin is cut in half by a moving cube, and we just see Kazan walk off into happiness into this white light, and that's the end of the movie. No explanation what happened or what happens to Kazan. It's just in your imagination now. Right, and uh, it's one of those things I'm sure that the filmmakers were very much certain that if they show what happens to Kazan, the whole movie's ruined. The last thing you need to show is people on the other side of that door saying, congratulations, Kazan. Here's your gumdrops. Yes, your gumdrops, just like you promised. <laughs> or, 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 the, or Jeff Probst come out and say, and here's our winner. Yes. It's Tom Cruise. Want to go to Vegas and count cards? Exactly. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, we can we can sit here and talk about what this movie means, or uh, we can talk about the sequels. We can talk about what what do you want to talk about here at the end of the movie here? Well, um, I mean, what is it a movie about, right? Is it a movie about a cube, or is it is it about uh, you know? It's not about traps. I think that much is certain. It's uh, you know, to me, these you ask the question of whether or not this is a horror movie, and. I would say yes. You know, there is gruesome death in it. And, you know, like so many zombie movies, again, the horror is each other. The real traps are the people we are up against who we can either we can either work with or work against. And, uh, you know, the, the like I say, this this cube was not it did not cheat. It gave everyone a, a solution to get out. They just wasted that chance. They wasted what they had, which was each other. So to me, this is kind of like a parallel for uh, for reality. It's like, you know, uh, where we're thrust into this planet. We have no idea how we got here, really. We have no idea why we're here. There's rules. You know, there's night and day. There's a, a structure of life. And we're given the tools to survive. And uh, the biggest challenge oftentimes is, in reality, surviving each other. And we all have our own theories as to what this world means you know what is the meaning of life was it designed by somebody is this or is this person is the designer of this asleep at the switch as uh, as worth refers to right and so uh, you know this movie is dealing a lot with the 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 terrifying nature of thinking that there's no one in control of all of this that you're all you're just going to die and it's just going to be completely meaningless from beginning to end and it always was meaningless that's the real terror i think is in this movie and if, that, if that's the truth you confront, that's when you start turning on people, right? Yeah, it's interesting. I have nothing really to add on what you just said because, well, there's so many open-ended ways of looking at this movie. It's like a parable for religion, faith, society, structure, order, following rules. And like, this is a thing I think I said earlier in the podcast. I'm a little hesitant recommending this movie to people as a horror movie because I... I'm worried they're going to go in there and expect something terrifying. And it's really not like it's, I, I'm worried it would let people down expecting something horrific. However, this is a movie I recommend to almost everybody. Cause it's like a philosophy movie and there's, it's a really intelligent thinking movie, even though the math is really not correct if you pay attention, but it's still aiming very high for a very smart crowd. So I always recommend it. It's just, I always hesitate to say it's a horror movie. Cause I think that would, that would set people's expectations up in a weird way. Well, that's not the opposite of a horror movie, I would say. Whatever. What is the opposite of a horror movie? I think uh, <laughs> a Disney musical. I think Disney musical. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it's definitely not that. So, uh, although Buffy did have a musical episode too. So. Okay. Well, I do want to get into the sequels now. Have you seen them at all, or know anything about them? 
I have seen them, yes. They're, well, actually, one of them is a prequel. Uh, so you have Hypercube, which um, has only one color. My God, big disappointment. One color room the entire time. And uh, that one starts dealing with time travel and a bunch of weird nonsense. Um, you know, there's like, there's like multiple dimensions. And one of the dimensions is going forwards and backwards in time. And, uh, you know, I know I bet at least one cast member from it who dies pretty horribly. And uh, um, it's just that's... Uh, I'm not going to recommend it. I don't think it's really even talked about much anymore there. Mm-hmm. But the real, the real one I regret watching was Cube Zero. Um, that's 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 the one with no calories, right? Uh, sure. Well, my parents are trying to get me to take now a uh, Coke Zero. Um, <laughs> um, so um, Cube Zero, it's pitched as a prequel, um, and they do the thing I really hate in hindsight, which is try to explain the behind the scenes of the cube in a way that doesn't explain the behind the scenes of the cube, right? If that makes sense. Um, you know, like, I feel like like so many shows that deal with mystery boxes, they fall into this trap where the audience wants an answer. And the problem is, if you answer this thing, well, then the, the, the thing that made this whole thing appealing in the, the first place is no longer there. Once you explain the conspiracy that Mulder and Scully are investigating, well, then the sto- the show has lost its its catch, right? The uh, the appeal of the show is gone. And so they, what they try to do is explain the mystery while preserving the mystery. And you almost can never do that in a way that satisfies the audience. The only thing I think that really works is that ambiguity. And then so uh, Q0, it actually shows you people who are controlling the cube we're kind of working in an office they have cameras on all the all the all the rooms they're monitoring it kind of like how you would monitor an escape room mm-hmm. um with cameras there and they know when they're about to escape and uh they show some really goddamn stupid things they actually show what happens when you escape from the cube and you want me to tell you i'm never gonna watch it so sure tell me um if you if you don't if you care about the movie i'd say don't listen but uh, i i just got reminded of this on, my, on facebook um Someone, someone escapes, right? And so they get taken to a room, and then they're chained up. And they, and the staffers who run the cube have to get on the loudspeaker and, and ask this person, "Do you believe in God?" And if they say no, then they kill them. Oh. <laughs> I believe that's what it was. I am just going to prefer to believe that Cube is a standalone movie, and nobody knows what happens because that's stupid. Does, yeah, does this, does this make the story better? Uh, no, it doesn't. And, and uh, you know, spoilers for Cube Zero, but I'll just say it right now. Um, uh, this staff member at some point, um, uh, he slips up. They have to bring in upper management who, again, they're showing without explaining. They're explaining it without explaining it. So there's many levels to what they're explaining here. Upper management gets pissed off. And then finally, uh, this guy, who, who also you learn is a chess master, right? Uh, he's playing chess with his partner there. Um, he gets taken for a lobotomy, and the first and the next thing you see at the end of the movie is him in a room with his head shaved, in a cube room, surrounded by people, and he says, "This room is blue." <laughs> don't watch, don't watch Cube Zero. I had such a higher opinion of Canadian horror movies until you told me all this stuff. Oh, I did, I should point out this is a direct video. Okay, and it was filmed in America, Buffalo. Uh, I, I mean, I. I, I <laughs> I'll look this up. I don't think Q... I'm Hill is so obscure, it probably doesn't even have so many locations listed here, but uh, I'll just check. <laughs> it's like in the Cayman Islands. It's offshore where there's no fixed address. It just says Toronto. That's it. Okay. 
Okay, well, yeah, I prefer just to look at Cube as a standalone movie, a very thoughtful, interesting premise. Again, it's really just a Twilight Zone movie, just five characters in search of an exit, and it asks a lot of questions about morality and human behavior and worth and value. And there's one quote I want to hear, I want to highlight at the end here, when Worth says he doesn't want to leave the Cube, he would rather stay in the Cube and die. It's really interesting, he says... The reason I don't want to leave is because outside here is just boundless human stupidity. That's why the cube was invented in the first place. Someone came up with this stupid thing. I don't want to go out in the world. I'll just die in here. So I think, like you said, it's very much just nihilism. Like, I think that's the point of the movie. There's no purpose. Someone built this and they had to use it and we're guinea pigs and that's it. There's no bigger picture. And you just get the sense that, you know, uh, part of the thing that you're holding on to with Levens is just that sense of hope. Because she's young, she hasn't quite seen how the world is, um, she still has that thing to root for, which is that maybe I can make the world a better place. And uh, with, uh, I'm looking at the name again, <laughs> I still don't know the names, Worth, he's been there, he's seen the world for what it is, he's seen what a job really is how people are, and he's just been beaten down by it. And uh, that's the thing that kind of terrifies me, especially right now, is just being so beaten down by seeing people at the worst that I'll lose hope, I'll lose optimism. And uh, that to me would be, is going to be the most existential terror for me, is just that terror of losing optimism, losing hope. And uh, it's something that Shawshank Redemption was also really good about, is just uh, the worst thing is to give up, and Worth just kind of loses that optimism, um, and that's 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 just that's sad to think about. More so, more so than him dying a horrible death. It's more just him dying without hope. Well, and I guess it doesn't help that Levin, the one person who's optimistic, is to get out there and change the world, is brutally murdered just minutes from escaping. Yes, by a guy they should have seen. They should have seen him enter the room. My God, damn it, man! <laughs> that that that's pisses me off. It's like. And, and Kazan escapes, and Kazan's only motivation in life is he wants gumdrops. Maybe that's the answer to life. You need to want gumdrops. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I just This is a fun movie to talk about. I'm really glad we did this episode because it's one of these, again, unique, thoughtful, little low-budget movies. Again, filmed in one goddamn room. They had no budget. It's one room the entire movie, and they made it look like this huge cube. It's just really interesting. I think everyone should see this movie at least once. And I will say that if you thought the if you think the CGI looks dated now, I assure you, when the movie came out, it also looked dated. <laughs> now, which CGI? I'm trying to think what you're talking about. Um, uh, the 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 cube grater there at the beginning that folds in on itself. <laughs> now, come on, it's a fantastic futuristic cube. You don't think that technology would look like that in this weird futuristic Canada? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to write. I wrote this down. It's hard. To, it's hard to picture a dicer that has the power to cube a person, <laughs> but it can still fold in on in on itself afterwards. I don't know if there's enough tensile strength in uh, a device like that, but I don't know. Well, you know, it's that Canadian military-industrial complex. They do amazing things. <laughs> exactly. When you uh, when you have to work on a budget, you find ways to compress your uh, your work. I guess. <laughs> okay. Anything else you want to say about this movie before we sign off and you get back to your Star Trek? podcast um i'm, I'm all like oh this gonna say i should have said that but uh, i think i'm i think i'm good let me just scroll my notes here um uh yeah the sushi machine oh yeah that was a nice line um let's rule out aliens for now oh is, is this aliens yeah i skipped over a lot of that <laughs> okay what do you think the cube is let's ask the question that there's no answer to okay we're gonna finish with what do we think the cube is yes i think that 
worth is probably right. It's just something someone built and there was some government project and they just kept adding on to it. And at the end, they're like, well, I guess we got to use it. So they kidnapped people, drugged them and threw them in there. I don't think it's really anything bigger than what worth says. I think he is exactly correct. So you're like, like this government is so, it's so big. It's got so many different uh, fiefdoms within it that, um, you know, the head of the military can't possibly comprehend everything the military does because there's just so much military. There's just so many different subdivisions to it. And so uh, that's what this is. It's just even at this enormous expense, it's still like a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the budget. So uh, that's what this is. It's just somebody's pet project. It's got, it's, it's, is it like Google where uh, uh, part of your time is devoted to your side venture projects where you just sort of screw around, try different things? And is this what that is? The military just saying, why don't we just try this on a spare time, guys? You know, Mark, I don't have all the answers to life. I am a simple man. I am an American who does not know advanced math. This is the best I can do. Okay, but, so, but clearly whoever designed this was like a, like a math nerd. Is like, I bet I could design a cube that could be solved by math, guys. Just let me try this. And like, sure, in your spare time, we'll, we'll build this. We'll pay for it, uh, you know, and... Uh, I bet the person who designed that didn't even expect them to put people in it. He just thought he designed it as a cool pet project and uh, to sort of to make his his transition into into making escape rooms later on. Well, why would you put traps in there then if you don't think anybody's ever going to go in it? Why 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 have the face melter? Well, you have to motivate people to uh, to to stay to to try to solve it, right? You don't want to make it easy for them. (laughs) So this is the ultimate Skinner box, is what you're saying. This is don't go in that room; you'll get your face melted off. And this is how they learn math better. It's like a it's like a Japanese cram school. If you want to get the math scores up in America, you have to you have to take, you have to make big moves. <laughs> I don't know. No one will ever know what the cube is. All I know is it's a cool movie. And if you if you like cube, you should also watch Exam and Circle. I like they're so similar. All three of them. All right. Um, yeah, I, I was gonna say like uh, this is a social experiment, but not only said it, I'm much more like the idea of this just being a uh, a pet project from somebody who's moved and moved on since he started it. Oh yeah, Bill Gates was just bored one weekend. Yeah, so he hasn't even checked in to see how it's going now. He's 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 just moved on to so many other different projects now. <laughs> All right. Well, do you want to plug your uh, Star Trek podcast before we sign off here? called phaser times p-h-a-s-e-r phaser time uh we talk about multi-star trek other science fiction sometimes we're in the middle of doing our uh multi-part series where we compare each star wars movie to a star trek episode and or movie and uh try to find the things that connect it uh you know next one i'm editing is star trek the wrath of khan which we are pairing with empire strikes back and uh, i can hear my parents trying to go to sleep upstairs so i probably should uh sign off before they take me away and put me into a cube there so uh (laughs) It's typical Canadian punishment. Yes. All right. Well, thank you for joining me, Mark. And once again, everyone, my name is Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. If you need to reach me, you can reach me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. Until next time, I'll be out there searching for more movies that deserve more love, and I'll try to find somebody interesting to come on and talk about them. I'll talk to you guys later. Stay away from the cubing machine. Bye. So what happened? You saw what happened. What? I guess the numbers are more complicated than I thought. 